welcome back to a serious series of utmost importance, the series. I'm one of your hosts, Neil. And I'm one of your other hosts, Tom. And our third host is missing in action today, the ghost of Christmas future, but he'll hopefully be back for future episodes. Yes, uh, he's going back and watching all of the early Keanu Reeves movies to add a supplement to our other Probably unreleased episode. At this it point. is unreleased. That'll be next week's episode. Yeah. We're giving you a teaser. So what is our series that we're going to talk about today, Tom? So this this episode is different from m- most of our episodes, uh, though similar to another one we did probably like nine or ten months ago. Today we're talking about vaccines. This is our first crossover episode, too where we talk oh, yeah. about the thing as well as the band the vaccines so are you a big fan of vaccines i mean i would say i don't hate vaccines certainly i've experienced many vaccines though i will say i it's hard to remember which vaccines you've had as a non doctor like, if you go to a new doctor and you don't have your medical record and you, they ask you what vaccines you have, it's hard to remember that. But nowadays, you have most of the vaccines in your pocket. I mean, assuming you have a Spotify subscription. True, I do have a premium. So, there you go. Yeah. So you never really need to worry about which vaccines you have on hand because you can listen to whichever vaccines you want. That's what you were talking about, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, MMR, uh, that other one. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I haven't listened to most of their albums, so. Yeah, they're... Is MMR their big hit? MMR is their big hit. Um, their other big hit is uh, If You Wanna. Um, that was the B-side to MMR, I think. This is already getting really confusing, and I love it. <laughs> Yeah, right. actually, I wonder, you know, the band, the vaccines, they must be thinking about it now, right? Like, we should write an album all about vaccines. They've been waiting probably their whole career for this moment. I and... think that their like recording technology has advanced a lot in the last year just mm-hmm. because of all the investment that society yeah. at large has put in it. People who so, accidentally gave money to the band instead of... They're, they're like, where are we getting all this money from? People volunteered to be beta testers. And they just went to a, they're like, a it, studio booth and listened to some new music. Yeah, it really wasn't as bad as I thought. It was not what I expected. Um, the only side effects they had were feeling like they were in the early 2010s. Yeah, there's no, certainly nothing wrong with that. That was a great time. All right. Um, should we t- what, what should we talk about first? The band or actual vaccines? I think we should talk about actual vaccines. Okay. Because by this point in the episode, if the listener hasn't already turned off the episode from dealing with our... our uh, God, what's the, what's the word? What's the Idiocy? name? Like, wordplay shenanigans. Oh. Uh... Um, our comedy of errors about which yes. vaccine we're talking about. 
then they're sticking with us for the whole episode. Exactly. So vaccines, the medical vaccines. Yeah, what is a vaccine? A vaccine is a... Actually, what is the strict definition of a vaccine? This is also a good place to say none of this is medical advice. This is all just for fun, and none of this is uh, very strictly fact-checked. Let me guess what it is. I'm not a doctor. Okay. It is a... It is a medical treatment used to inoculate a person from future symptoms of a disease, a virus or bacteria. Is that close? Close. In computing, it's a program designed to detect computer viruses and inactivate them, according to uh, Oxford. (laughs) Is that the first definition? That's the second definition. Okay. The first definition is, from Oxford again, a substance used to stimulate the production of antibodies and provide mm-hmm. immunity against one or several diseases prepared from the causative agent of a disease, its products, or a synthetic substitute treated to act as an antigen without inducing the disease. And an antigen is just anything specific to a disease that our body can recognize, like our body's immune cells can recognize and mount a response to. It, every illness every bacteria or virus like it has certain antigens that you target um in the case of the coronavirus the reason like we're doing the episode now the antigen they're targeting is the spike protein on the surface right but there are other targets presumably wait so then we were just we were talking before the episode about antigen testing so what is that testing look for does it look for things in your body that have been created to combat or is it looking for in this case like that spike protein it's not i don't think it's looking for the spike protein i think it's looking for well it might be looking for the spike protein but i think it's broadly looking for any set of antigens that implies an active current COVID infection so not just the protein but it could be other proteins or other targets that a natural COVID infection would produce in the body got it versus a PCR, which is a polymerase chain reaction, which is a method to amplify the actual RNA um, of the virus. Yeah. So it cuts all the noise out and just looks for that single DNA signal. Yeah, like if there is the RNA of the virus, of the coronavirus in your body, the PCR should be positive. Like there are false negatives, but in general, that's how the two testing methods work. And then you can also get antibody testing to see if you had COVID in the past and see if you have COVID antibodies, but that's just to see if you got infected. Right, okay. All right, now I have an interesting thing because like looking up vaccine on Wikipedia, I was like, where the hell does the name vaccine come from? And it's actually a lot more interesting than I thought it would be. Do you, right. do you know this? I'm, I'm not sure if I do. I looked up a little bit of stuff before the episode. Okay, so vaccine comes from the word in Latin, vaca, V-A-C-C-A, um, which means cow in mm. Latin. And the reason why is because 
um, an early vaccine against smallpox was injecting people with cowpox, which was similar but a lot less deadly. So, yeah, that. So the cowpox, you get the vodka, vodka, you get the vaccine, which is actually really interesting. I had no idea any of that. Now, I think that was like one of the earliest vaccines, right? Smallpox? So, yeah, smallpox was the scourge of history. And yeah, um, it was responsible for the earliest method of trying to uh, prevent severity or infection from a disease. And actually, just from looking online before the episode, the first attempt at like introducing a foreign thing into the body to prevent a serious disease was as early as 1000 common era or okay. 200 before common era so like any time in that 1200 period oh. range and it was in china and it was for smallpox it was a technique do? called variolation they took uh they yeah scabs they took up smallpox scabs ground them up and blew them into people's nostrils. Oh, yeah, that's Jesus. called variolation, and that was used uh, throughout a lot of history um, for smallpox up Wait. until probably the seventeen hundreds. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. I mean, st- there's, like, there's how that- would that how would that be better than just getting smallpox? Is it because it's like you make it a chance of getting some of the antibodies in there as well in the scab? I think it's because smallpox was so fatal regardless. No, it's not. So antibodies are the thing that the body generates on their own. Right. But it would be in the scab. Although... The antigens in the scab, presumably, would prompt the body to recognize those specific antigens and mount antibodies to them. Antibodies Uh, are the the, uh, things that your body's B cells produce mm -hmm. to bind to antigens of a foreign... Uh, substance and once okay. they're bound that's what your body's like enforcing cells Got know it. what to attack and get rid of basically so you think the scabs may have the antigens if it was effective at all yeah i'm not sure if it was effective <laughs> i mean it that's such a strain like it had it has to it probably was not very effective but it had it was, to have been better than nothing Actually, the results were sometimes fatal. Two to three percent of those variolated died of smallpox. In contrast, that's not that thirty percent. Yeah, twenty to thirty percent who died of smallpox after like contracting it naturally. But also, variolated people could pass the disease on to others. Right. Which isn't great. Yeah, but smallpox was friggin' tear. I mean, it would just wipe everyone out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally wiped out North America, South America. Um, like, yeah, we probably covered it on our plagues and pandemics episode. But, like, it's just crazy, like, how many times smallpox appears. Yeah. And, like, the scale of people that like millions of people that it killed over like a hundred years in the Americas is amazing. Yeah. 
then in so that was up until 1770 when what you were talking about with Edward Jenner, who apparently heard the tale from a milkmaid that she caught cowpox from a cow and believed herself safe from smallpox. So he like investigated that. Oh wow. Okay. Oh my God. I just looked up what smallpox looks like on Wikipedia. There's a picture of a kid with it. I'm guessing this is a severe case. <laughs> Probably. We have eradicated smallpox right now. Right. And this smallpox is a virus, right? Smallpox is, yeah, it's a pox virus, I believe. Yeah. What the hell is monkeypox? Okay, so vaccines. What do you, I mean, in the history of, like, medical innovations, mm -hmm. do you think it's the most important thing that we've figured out medically up to this point in terms you know, of like impressiveness saving lives and allowing future progress um okay so variolation was banned in england in 1840 but vaccination by that time vaccination had like taken over and i'm trying trying to Remember, Louis Pasteur did a lot for vaccines, I think. Really? Mm -hmm. So not just pasteurization? No. He, okay, so what happened was he was one of the fathers of um, the germ theory of disease, which is what I would actually say is one of the biggest medical innovations, like the, probably yeah. the biggest medical innovation. That led to everything else. Yeah, because it's like the foundation of most illnesses, not like... Not necessarily cancers and stuff, but mm -hmm. um, like before his era, people didn't really realize that there was anything to like they weren't washing hands before surgeries and stuff, you know? Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, that's why he created... so many so many people just like getting injured in war. <laughs> you go to the triage and catch all that crap. He created vaccines for rabies, for anthrax, um, and for some other stuff. Wow. But... Yeah, so interesting. So, like, in the grand scale, if you're able to, like, calculate how many lives were saved, like, per person being born, this guy must mm -hmm. have been one of the, like, top ten. Yeah, probably. That is interesting. I'm not sure if this is a reliable source, but... The Immunization Advisory Center of New Zealand, uh, probably as a reliable source, yeah, um, said that Buddhist monks drank snake venom to confer immunity to snake bite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I believe that. That's like an ancient, I don't know how ancient it is, but like, you know, the guy who like takes a little bit of poison in his tea every day to yeah. build up the immunity. That feels different, though. Yeah, probably is. Although, Wait, why did the Buddhists even do that? That makes I don't know. Did they have a lot of enemies? Yeah. Okay, so yes, it was Pasteur who invented vaccines. I'm sorry. No, Edward Jenner invented vaccines. Pasteur advanced them with the germ theory and uh, creating the anthrax and rabies and also one of the early cholera vaccines. Mm-hmm. 
later on. Um, we're skipping ahead like probably until the 1900s now. I don't know if there was a lot of significant development in, in, in the meantime. Uh, in 1882, the Anti-Vaccination League of America held its first meeting in New York. Oh, wow. So what were they among the assertions? Among the assertions made by the speakers at the meeting was the idea that smallpox was spread not by contagion, but by filth. Right. All right. Well, that was like the old way of looking at it, right? Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. Okay, but like, I could understand if you're in 1882, vaccines were just invented. Yeah. I'll give them a pass. But today, <laughs> I think it's crazy. Yeah. In 1905, oh, there was a case of Jacobson versus Massachusetts, which upheld the constitutionality of mandatory smallpox vaccination to preserve the public health. Oh, wow. So even then, there were these people being like, we'll just take it to the Supreme Court. Wow. I mean... That's interesting. I didn't even think like, okay, going back to coronavirus, mm -hmm. I feel like that's not going to happen. No, You're not going to be required to take it. And smallpox is no. definitely a much worse disease to catch. Yeah. So I guess yeah, at is. some point you must cross a line where the government's like, you got to take it. Well, what's, I wonder if polio vaccine was ever mandated. Because that was another big jump was when they made a polio vaccine because it was... That was a so, big effort. Yeah, it was a huge effort. And it was at least Why? started by 1935. It's because polio was so debilitating. Yeah. Um, but was it common? I think... I'm not sure if was it was it common, but it was like if... Definitely contagious. It's Very from a contagious. polio virus. I don't know how contagious. But I think it's like one of those things where it's really bad. And you know, it's if, lifelong. If yeah, lifelong. If your kid gets polio, like that's going to cause lifelong problems for them. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, seventy percent of people with polio, there's no symptoms. Yeah, and in the 1950s, but, that's when they got the. That's when they started having a polio vaccine. But there was a problem with that vaccine, right? The Salk and the Sabin ones? Yeah, wasn't there an issue? I think a lot of kids ended up getting polio. Really? Yeah. Um, not the Salk, I think. I think it was an earlier one. So one of them is uh, inactivated and one of them is live but attenuated. Right. Meaning like modified to be less virulent. Okay. Now we only give the inactivated one. Okay, so yeah, 1935, John Colmer of Temple University, uh, he developed an attenuated polio virus vaccine, which he tested about 10,000 children across the U.S. and Canada. Five of these children died of polio, and 10 more were paralyzed, usually in the arm where it was vaccinated. So um, then the, that was the Sabin one? That was earlier, Colmer. This was in 1935. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that happened... And I think that was like a major setback for the vaccine because it was just a, and I don't even, I mean, 10,000. So 
10 in 10,000 died. That doesn't seem very good. No. That's one in a thousand. Or actually, it's one in 2,000, but another 10 were paralyzed. So now, though, with the inactivated polio virus, it's eradicated in the Western Hemisphere. It's apparently only in two countries. In 2016, it was circulating in just Afghanistan and Pakistan with occasional oh, wow. spread to neighboring countries. Damn, that's crazy. I'm, I'm not sure what the status is since then. Wow. But you still, vac- you still vaccinate for polio just because of the risk. When um, you're a kid. But I don't think you vaccinate for smallpox anymore. All right, smallpox. Okay. So this, this was all, I think, before molecular genetics was a big thing. Actually, don't remember off the top of my head when DNA was discovered. And so, why? What's your point about it being before molecular genetics? Um, 1950s. So, the point is that because now most of the newer vaccine development and stuff is based off of molecular genetics, where you introduce the code for an antigen target into a vector, usually an adenovirus, which is a harmless cold virus. So you modify the cold virus by coding it essentially to create antigens that are in another virus. And just those are just the antigens that you want to target, like you want your body to create antibodies to. Mm. It's either that you're introducing antigens or an actual attenuated virus into the vector. I'm honestly not sure. It's not my area of expertise. But before, you were like trying to isolate from the actual virus or bacteria whichever antigens you were trying to uh, use, or you were killing a whole copy of that target or attenuating it and injecting it. Right. So that was, was that a lot more trial and error, and it just took a lot longer to find something that worked and was safe yeah and even even after that even like when you were using adenoviruses and stuff generally like before this year the quickest turnaround from starting to develop a vaccine to having a vaccine was five years wow what was that do you know um i don't remember off the top of my head huh but by the way i edited it'll sound like you know (laughs) we knew exactly Yeah, so it's been less than a year. What's the official, like, it's been less than a year, right? I mean... Less than a year. Like, I think the code for coronavirus was published in January or February, like the entire genome. And then from that to December, they created a vaccine. Yeah. Okay, now what about the Russian vaccine? (laughs) Yeah. So all of those people who are getting it, they're screwed. I don't think they're screwed. I just don't think it necessarily did anything. Or it's okay. maybe like, maybe it would help some people, but not be as effective. Yeah, honestly, I don't know anything about the Russian vaccine. We all knew it was bullshit, so we just didn't look into yeah. it. Yeah. In the history of medicine, Mumps. yeah, from the New York Times, rarely has a vaccine been developed in less than five years. Among the fastest to be developed was the current mumps vaccine. The, a child was infected and then 
the dad like spent five years trying to come up with right. a vaccine for it, basically. Oh, really? So the the guy. So 1963 to 1967. Child is infected, and so he was like on a mission to. It was like one guy. <laughs> Sounds like a good movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and so to my knowledge, that is sort of where the technology was at until the beginning of this year. Wow. So it had been over 50 years. Because since then, like, there was, there were all these diseases, and we were just, like, cranking through the list and being like, all right, check that one off, check that one off. Well, I think it was like the diseases that we could find good targets to that would produce good responses and safe responses in people. Um, I think that's what they were going off of. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, we have a hepatitis B vaccine, but not a hepatitis C vaccine. Why not? The differences in the structures of those viruses. We they haven't been able to come up with a way so far that hepatitis C could, uh, you could like introduce a specific antigen that would eliminate enough percentages of natural infections. Oh, wow. So, so part of it is like finding an antigen that will work for every case, which is one of the issues with HIV. Like you can't find necessarily good targets, but I don't know enough about it to to like talk in depth about that. So now that you're out of your comfort zone, I'm going to ask you some more follow-up questions. Yes, please. Uh, okay. So now that we've seen like how fast vaccine development can be done by multiple, you know, different parties who are all kind of working independently, given the right amount of urgency, pressure and incentivization, do you think like a hepatitis C or um, HIV vaccine at this point could be developed if like if it was at such a large scale as COVID? That's that's the hope. Like that now that we have these mRNA vaccines in the wild, that we've sort of broken the floodgates and can right. start using some of these in other diseases. It's, I forget if I was saying this to you or someone else, but it's been literally like 10 years of scientific advancement in the last year, just because of how much has been thrown at this. Yeah. Cause otherwise you wouldn't start to see this for a long time. Right. Which is really cool. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's, I think we're going to see a lot of cool stuff going forward in terms of how these, how mRNA technology for vaccination is used, not just for viruses, but even for potentially like cancers and stuff. Oh, wow. Um, and just be, uh, cause I don't think we actually talked about it yet in this episode, but how the mRNA vaccine works for COVID this, uh, these are the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. They have, um, a sequence of mRNA. Well, let me take one more step back. So you have DNA, which is the cellular structure of living creatures. Some viruses are RNA only, but ignore that for now. 
um, you have DNA, which is uh, a copy of that is made, a single-stranded copy of, is of that is made called RNA. And there are different types of RNA. One of them is messenger RNA. And messenger RNA is used by protein-building machinery in the cell to create a protein. And that's basically what a virus does. And specifically, the coronavirus has a spike protein that lets it attach to a cell and then it injects its uh, genetic material into the cell and hijacks that cell's machinery to create more copies of itself. That's how a virus reproduces. The way the mRNA vaccine works is you take just the mRNA coding for the spike protein, nothing else, no no components that like will create more of the virus or anything like that. You just have essentially an inactivated protein. So you'll have like copies of the spike protein, but not, but it won't do anything because it's just the protein. So it tell, it introduces the messenger RNA that codes for the spike protein in a fat globule. That fat globule gets absorbed into your cell. Your cell creates copies of the your cell transcribes the mRNA, so your cell then produces the coronavirus spike protein. So you have copies of the spike protein floating around in your body, but your body recognizes that this is a foreign thing that has been introduced in your body. So you start to develop an immune response, but just to the spike protein. So your B cells will start to create antibodies against the spike protein, and your T cells and stuff will start to learn to attack those. Mm -hmm. That's the first dose. And then the second dose potentiates that response. It delivers the exact same thing, but this is the second hit. The second time your body has seen a surge of spike proteins in your body. And then it like creates even more antibodies. So that's why the first dose you get like 10%, sorry, 50% efficacy. By the second dose, you get like 95% efficacy. Oh. That's the that's the co- uh, that's the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Another vaccine was just approved, uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine, and that uses the adenovirus vector technology. Mm-hmm. That's more well known. That's more um, traditional, but it's only sixty percent effective. Right, but each of these different types have pros and cons, right? I mean. Okay, so I have a dumb, I have a dumb question. So describing how a virus reproduces and your body's immune response is helpful and is a good refresher from like biology, like a long time ago for me. So I know that with the Spanish flu, one problem was the I forget what it's called, but the over response of your immune system can be dangerous if it is too much the something storm whatever the cytokine storm yeah so i think that's actually that's still the case with how the coronavirus works the you die from your body trying to get rid of the coronavirus right we've really lived through this whole virus and the understanding of it over less than a year and like it's hard to remember like things that you read in April versus things that you read in July versus things you read in October. 
and whether some of those yeah. things still hold up. But I do remember reading that probably the worst position to be in is like real having heart problems or something. Yeah, or pre-existing lung problems. And just from looking at it a little bit more, the lung-specific effect seemed to be mainly because it's attacking the blood vessels in the lungs where the gas exchange happens, like the oxygen to carbon dioxide exchange, so which is the main function of your lungs. Okay. So then you don't get enough oxygen in your body. You don't get enough oxygen going to the cells. Um, you retain too much carbon dioxide. Mm. And... When, once you're once you're there the, uh, the treatment options are oxygen higher guns of oxygen essentially and then um, intubation there's more treatment options than I'm aware of but like in the in the basic sense of it if your lungs aren't functioning right you need to get the oxygen you, through your blood right but even then intubation might not be enough and that's why you see people like who are on ventilators still dying it's not enough to get the oxygen through. right because if the if the blood vessels are not Caring. are too damaged that they're not able to do the exchange right. even pumping high amounts of oxygen directly into your lungs which is what intubation does that's not going to do anything right it's just yeah okay i have another question because i was just talking about this today um and someone was saying that someone was saying that with the if you have the vaccine you still can transmit the virus but i thought that was not yet known whether i don't think it's known yet i think the safe thing to do is assume that you can still transmit it i don't i don't know the answer i don't know yeah. if anyone has the answer right knows. now but what we do know is that after the second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna, you should have somewhere in the 90s uh, percentile mm -hmm. of protection for yourself against getting COVID. Right. So once you get to a point where like you are vaccinated and your loved ones are vaccinated, presumably the risk of transmission to people who are already vaccinated is even lower than right. like risk of transmission to someone who is unvaccinated. Right. And so at some point we will reach a critical mass like the herd immunity threshold right where people yeah. will still get it but like the rate of new cases will start to decrease right yeah the herd immunity idea is that enough people will be vaccinated that even if someone like comes to your face and like breathes in a bunch of just fresh potent covid particles you won't get infected because you're vaccinated and once 70% or so of the people in the country have done that, the virus won't be able to transmit from people from person to person mm -hmm. because the intermittent vectors are immunized. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. If we'll reach that point? I don't Yeah, I, I hope we do. I yeah. don't know if, like, the anti-vax squad is going to do their work and I feel like there have to really be what's gonna happen. I mean I kind of I don't know for sure but I kind of feel like even if that is a significant percentage of the country it is not enough to be a major threat 
outside of those populations. I mean, either they're yeah. clustered in their own thing and then that's on them, or they're spar spread out sparse enough throughout the country, hopefully, where it shouldn't make a huge difference. Um, okay, I have a couple more questions that have come up during this conversation. So similar to the previous question about being able to transmit after you've been vaccinated, what is the current thinking on whether we, people who get vaccinated now will need to be vaccinated again in a year or two years or X years? The antibody response I think is unknown, but yeah. the immune response isn't just the antibody response. The reason that we have to get vaccinated yearly for something like the flu vaccine is because the antigens that we're using, the H's and N's that we target every year, um, mm -hmm. they one of the characteristics of the flu virus is that those rapidly change. Like just the way that they work is that they constantly are re are shifting their conformation, and that's why we can't like make one that just eradicates it completely. And that's why periodically right. new strains of flu will come out, like the H1N1 um, that was so virulent however many years ago that was. But that's why we have to get yearly flu vaccines is because scientists will make a vaccine for the strains that they think are most common or are going to be most common for that year. And that's why uh, the efficacy of that changes every year. Right. It's not necessarily that our antibodies wane to that. But for COVID, for coronaviruses in general, including SARS and stuff, I think the reason they had such a difficulty in the past was because the antibody response did wane. And I think that's why you see reinfections. Um, mm. Like that's why you do see some reinfections with COVID, but so that's not the only the antibodies aren't the only part of the uh, the immune response. There's also T cells and NK cells, which are natural killer cells. That's actually what they're called. It's really cool. Um, mm. But so they have a non-antibody mediated response to things that they previously see, and like know to kill those. That's why COVID reinfections probably aren't as severe. And that's why the thinking is that even if the antibody response wanes, we don't have enough evidence for this yet, but we're thinking based on how COVID reinfections have worked so far that the T and NK cell responses should be enough to prevent severe disease. Okay, so it could be you just get like flu-like symptoms or something. Yeah, but there is the chance that if the antibody response wanes, you might need like another dose in a year or something like that. We don't know that sort of stuff yet. Yeah, I mean, we're not even at the, I mean, we're barely at the one-year mark. Yeah. Um, so, now, what if about... That, if that were the case, then like you could end up in a situation where you need yearly or every couple of year boosters. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned flu, different flu strains needing, you know, you get a, you get a flu shot every year because, you know, they're predicting what's going to be the biggest, you know, flu strain of the year and 
sometimes it's effective if they're right, sometimes it's not if they're wrong. Mm-hmm. What about this new 70% more contagious strain from the UK? Is the vaccine, are the mRNA vaccines currently out there sufficient to target that? Or would a new strand of mRNA be needed to target that? Or do we not know? I think they do know. Similar I, enough. I, I think they're, to their understanding right now, the new strain, um, the only change is its transmissibility. It's like 70% okay. more trans transmittable between people. I don't know exactly why, but it doesn't create more severe disease. But more importantly, the spike protein is unchanged between that mm. strain and the OG strain. Um, right. So they think that the current mRNA vaccines are going to be effective. Okay. But hypothetically, if they needed to cre- come up with a new target, the it shouldn't be difficult because they have like the scaffolding to build on. They just like, like with mix, the mRNA. Take out one piece of mRNA and put in the new. Or yeah, they I just think take that, the new mRNA. I think the hard part in that case would be figuring out what the ni- what the best the next best antigen target would be. Yeah. Right. And the redistribution, I guess. Yeah, I don't know how for sure. frequently these things are produced and all that. But Yeah. And I don't know why like I know some of the in the past, some of the issues with like vaccine distribution has been um, storage. Like we had an yeah. Ebola vaccine or a malaria vaccine a few years ago, but it like needed to be refrigerated. And so the question becomes like, how are you going to get that to sub-Saharan regions that really need it? And so that's the same thing with the Pfizer vaccine right now. It needs to be stored at absurdly cold temperatures because otherwise the mRNA structurally degrades, I think. Mm -hmm. But the Moderna vaccine just can be stored in a refrigerator. And I think the AstraZeneca can also just be stored in a refrigerator. Right. And frankly, at this point, we're going to need, we're just going to need them (laughs) like just massive numbers to try to vaccinate everybody in the world. Yeah. So, Probably some are going to work easier in some places, and others are just going to work easier in other places. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say something that would be triggering for you. What? So, a couple, uh, last two weeks ago, I guess, at this point, uh, no, one week ago, I was in Orange County in California. Big anti-mask area, like hardcore um i went down there because my sister is moving down there so we went to go check out her apartment and we went down to the beach it was beautiful so cool and uh we parked and like grabbed a coffee but um it was crazy there were so many people not wearing masks at all eating outside technically outdoor dining is banned in most of california but these are places that are rebelling. Um, and I definitely felt unsafe. There was a guy, I was drinking my coffee, so I, was, I had my mask off, and there was a guy who walked right by me, no mask, and, like, coughed. <laughs> I was like, I'm surprised no one, like, killed him. 
I feel like that's where we're at. But um, can, can you remind me? Orange County is not like that's different than where LA is, right? Yeah, it's the county just south of LA County. So, are some of the patients who are hospital like infected in Orange County? Do they end up going to LA County hospitals? Well, maybe because when I was there, zero there was zero percent availability in ICU beds in Orange right, County, that's what I was, and I think that's there was two percent in LA. Right now, I think LA is almost as bad. So yeah, it's good definitely job rebelling, worse guys. There. I know. Yeah, I. Uh, I was gonna say I get it, but I get a little bit of what they're saying. Sure. Sometimes the rules don't make sense. But that doesn't mean you do something stupid just because the rules don't make sense. I understand the lockdown fatigue and I know like it's hard to live with this level of of like strict rules and trying to avoid seeing family members and stuff for a year. And I'm sure there are like sociologists out there who are gonna have a ball analyzing behavior patterns from this last year. Um so I, I do sympathize, but also, like, you're going to end up in a situation where you're going to have to allocate resources, which is what we were trying to avoid, like, in March and April with, like, trying to flatten the curve. You never want to be in a situation where you have to pick between, like, two patients and say, mm-hmm. okay, like, how are we going to decide? We only have one ventilator. Both of them need it. How are we going to decide who gets it? Right. Plus, if you have any, if anything, if you get into an accident right now, this is like the worst time to get into a freaking accident. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, beds are extremely limited. I mean, I guess that's ICU, but still. And you get the risk of contracting coronavirus in the hospital. Yeah. Well, low risk, hopefully, because hospital staff should hopefully be wearing masks and stuff. Right. Um, but there's definitely a risk. What's, yeah, what's interesting now is unlike March and April, despite the levels, I think there's more of a glimmer of hope because of the vaccines. And um, because I think of the financial hit that hospitals had taken back then with shutting Mm -hmm. down all elective procedures and outpatient practices and stuff, um, they are, I, I don't think, elective procedures have been canceled yet probably in LA yeah. they have in California they I don't know if they've been canceled I know they were or they urged people to postpone them that makes so sense. you probably can't schedule anything new yeah things that are already on the books you might still be able to if you can't just wait a couple months yeah but yeah, it's it's bad, bad there. Um, I miss the outdoor dining too. That I don't get. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, I think it's just anything to avoid like clustering behaviors and people. Right. But don't you think if you go too far, then that's when people start to rebe- like the reason yeah. why people in Orange County are so crazy is because they're like, you're not allowed to go to the beach. But yeah, like maybe in March. that's too far, but then like also <laughs> there's zero. Like they were beds. arresting surfers who were out in the ocean by themselves. 
I don't I don't know what the right answer is. I know from a medical perspective, I understand. From a medical perspective, I I think I would like be fully on board with the lockdowns. From like a human perspective, I get why. Right. Continued lockdowns are hard, but like at the end of the day there's science and there's feelings and like you can't your feelings aren't going to change the science behind the fact that people are going to get infected if you do what you want to do right good answer so (laughs) i don't know i still feel kind of grateful that uh i mean it's been crazy there's been a lot of things that were poorly handled but it's just nice to be in an era where you can develop a vaccine in a year and you can actually really effectively limit the number of people who get sick like yeah we definitely focus on the negatives and there are negatives to focus on but i mean it's pretty nice to have that knowledge and to have just to know what to do to be effective. Like, this is impressive. Yeah, this is an unprecedented scientific achievement that I don't think we would have ever seen this quickly. And I don't think people will give it that much credit. I mean, yeah. people will for the vaccine, but there's going to be something that happens yeah, and probably. that everyone's going to shit on the vaccine. <laughs> I think more People likely, are just stupid. I think the issue is going to be, like, distribution and stuff more than yeah, anything totally. else. Well, Tom, you know what really got me through these hard months of uh, of lockdown and treating patients? It's, What's that? It's modern rock, but not modern oh. as in 2020s, modern as in 2010s. <laughs> That's still modern to me. I left my soul back then. Um, have you listened <laughs> to the vaccines? I know where you're going with this, and I didn't. I didn't get you there. It's all right. You're talking about the band. I'm talking no. about the band, the vaccine. I've heard of them. I know they're an English band. I'm sure I've heard their music, but I've never consciously been like, this is the vaccines. And I thought they were kind of lame, but then I saw th- they've opened for a lot of, like, they've opened for the Rolling Stones before, which is crazy. Wow. And Arcade Fire, Arctic Monkeys. Stone Roses, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Imagine Dragons, and Muse. Imagine Dragons not cool. I don't really know the Stone Roses, but um, I'm looking at. I'm just looking at the vaccines like store page. They have some fun yeah. shirts. Okay, that could the, be the gateway to to like them. There's one that says the vaccines make me feel good. <laughs> I really <laughs> enjoy this shirt. I might get this. Now, do they have like an anti-vaccine? shirt um like we're anti no they have one with a pterodactyl on it though oh which is close yeah i think you should get this shirt and wear it around and don't tell people it's from the band like wear it around your work but don't tell people it's from the band well i assume people would know it's from the band because what am i going to be talking How about this about? one with jesus with a third eye then <laughs> people will think like Oh, wait, is this Jesus? Um, I think it's a severed head. Oh. Right? John the Baptist. Maybe. No, it's it's called Stoner Jesus. Classic. Yeah, I think you should wear that one. Um, 
I have listened to some of their songs. I, in preparation for this episode, I listened to some more of their songs. Okay. They seem good. What is their music like? Their music is like... Like a, they remind, they're giving me like a surf rock vibe. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, not bad. Um, let me let me see what their. I wonder what their Wikipedia page describes them as. I see it here. It says uh, they have been they've drawn comparison to the Ramones and the Jesus and Mary Chain. Hmm. Which is cool. Like that's definitely cooler than I thought they would be. Yeah. I'm I'm for sure. I've already done it, but I'm going to form my opinion of these people without ever having listened to anything. You haven't listened to any vaccines? I don't think so. Even as a child? Oh, how about this? They have a cover album that has covers of ABBA, Wire, Nick Lowe, and Jonathan Richmond. In April 2020, the band released a new YouTube-only song called I Never Go Out on Fridays. This was followed by... Internet Disco featuring Agent Emotion, which was featured on the NHS fundraiser Songs for the National Health Service. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They have four albums or five albums. One, two, three. I think they have four albums (laughs) and one EP. Did you know they're on the compilation album Songs for the National Health Service created by the NHS? I did. I just said that. (laughs) Well, edit that out. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, their current members are Justin Hayward Young, Freddie Cohen, Arnie oh. Arneson, and oh, Joan wow. Intonti, um, ah. and Timothy Lanham on keyboards. But Pete Robertson on drums, percussion, and backing vocals departed in 2016 after their formation I, in 2010. Yeah, that was my favorite era with Pete. Definitely. Yeah, for sure, for sure. They have, uh... Any actual vaccines fans who've listened this long to, like, get to the heart of the episode? They're so pissed off right now. Oh, wow. You know, I'm actually reading, like, some of these things on their Wikipedia, and, like, they're talking about their influences, and I'm like, I actually like all this music. So... Maybe it's actually good. Probably. I think in my head I thought it was kind of like, you know, like a teenager kind of band. Like like teenagers, 16-year-olds would listen to it and be like, this is so cool, it's edgy. Mm -hmm. But not actually much depth. But I'm starting to come around on them. Their songs are apparently well-known for being really short. Like less than three minutes. I like that. Their debut song was 90 Seconds. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to find this EP with all the covers. I want to see what they covered. (laughs) Wow. Oh, how do you feel about the song on Melancholy Hill by the Gorillas? I love that song. Did they cover it? 
No, but it was one of the influences to one of their albums. <laughs> as well as Beautiful Lady by Shin Jong Hyun. Oh my god, I random. love that song too. He has he picks like the weirdest influences. They have mixed their fifth album and they tease that it will be their best times one thousand. Well that just made me like them a little bit less. I keep swinging back and forth. Um, I wonder I just want to know what their opinions are on actual vaccines yeah and like where did that name come from are they maybe they met in medical school or something <laughs> I wonder the vaccines Ben name okay interview why choose the name vaccines what is the meaning behind it? This is from superjam.com. Okay. And this article was published February 7th, 2011 by Media Monkey. Oh, they're good. Uh, the answer to why the name of the vaccines. I think that lots of people think it is loaded. There's some hidden meaning. I see it as a blank canvas. For example, we could be a 70s punk band or a 90s grunge band. <laughs> I always okay. think the name does scream guitar, though. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't answer the question at all. Describe the vaccines in three words using the third letter of your name. Oh, that's a <laughs> tough one. Long pause. I would have to say naive, neurotic, and nitroglycerin. I love the last that one. That doesn't sound like a tough one. <laughs> I think it means like easily explosive. Answer. Oh, my God. Wait, how old is this guy? You know, I'm oh, imagining he's, he's in the... Tw in his so he was 23 then. Yeah, okay. So he was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this is... I mean, this is interesting. I'm looking at each of their al Somehow on each of the Wikipedia pages, every album it says, like, my influences were... And it's like A, B, and C. Like, he always has, like, three things. Which I appreciate. And that's actually pretty rare. Um, Alright, I think I'm going to listen to them. Yeah, I'll definitely give them a shot. Um, I think the names of their songs are kind of dumb. I'm but looking maybe at another, the music is good. Maybe. I'm looking at another article from the Washingtonian.com in 2013 where they're interviewing a different band member, um, Arnie... Yorvar, and he says that the, they asked the like how'd you pick the name of the vaccines he said we'd been playing a few shows under a variety of names and they were all absolutely terrible justin had seen a spanish dictionary and saw the spanish word so he suggested it it definitely sounds like it belongs to any specific area and we liked the blankness of it you can cover quite a lot under that wait so Spanish. I'm guessing it was like vaccina or something. Maybe. I don't know. I think the point was, was like, they what didn't if we did really... it in English? <laughs> I think the point is that they didn't really <laughs> have any hidden intention behind calling it the vaccines. They just wanted it to sound like something from the eighties right. or seventies. Or just like Which... a regular band. It sounds like a band name. Yeah. Like that anyone could have thought of. Alright, that's that's fair. Yeah. I don't know if I have a whole lot else to say about the vaccines. Okay, if you could combine any of the vaccines albums with any vaccine, 
to make the best vaccine, what would you do? That's a fantastic question. <laughs> and of course, I know all the vaccines albums names off the top of my head, but just but to it'll make always sure help I don't to have. It. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm gonna do. Oh God, what would I do? Um, I wish there was an infection, uh, an Epstein Barr virus vaccine. That's the virus that causes mono, and one of the things uh. with mono is that you're supposed to avoid contact sports because of the risk of splenic rupture, because it causes splenomegaly. Oh. And they have an album called While Combat you have it. Sports. Yeah. They have an album called Combat Sports, so I ah. feel like that would have been great, but I, there's no vaccine to mono as far as I'm aware. Damn. So I'm going to go with Come of Age and um, the HPV vaccine. Ah, you just took mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back up. Uh Ah, you want to come of age? All right. I'm going to go with... Uh... Damn, I don't have anything good now. All right. Let's just go with English Graffiti. That's just a personal favorite of mine. And uh... DTAP, also a personal favorite of mine. We could... I feel like, what did you expect from the vaccines, their first album? Like, that would be great with something, but I don't know what. <laughs> I know. I couldn't think of anything funny. Um, so I went with something else not funny. Maybe like chicken pots, MMR. Vaccines just aren't that funny. Um, all right. Do you have any further thoughts on vaccines? No. All my vaccine thoughts have been long since depleted. I am going to listen to the vaccines and recommend everyone who is listening to this podcast get the covid vaccine when it's available to them i second that you get other vaccines too yeah <laughs>